0: I want to introduce our preacher this morning, and that is Allison. So can you help me welcome Allison as she comes forward? All right. Um, Can you hear me? Okay. All right. All right. So as Mike mentioned, my name is Allison. I am the executive pastor here at the River. It is so good to be with you here this morning, and thank you for braving the rain to come out to us. So we're currently in a sermon series called A New Kind of Christian. During this series, we are asking ourselves questions like, what are the characteristics that make up a mature, transformative Christianity today? What parts of the Christian faith are worth keeping and passing along to the next generation? So in preparation for this sermon, I reflected on my own experiences of Christianity throughout my life. It occurred to me that at its worst, Christianity has led me to feel things like stuck, trapped, coerced, burdened, afraid, ashamed. Have you ever had any faith experiences like that? On the other hand, at its best, when most aligned with God's unconditional agape love, Christianity has helped me to feel freer freer to move through periods of anxiety, fear, or despair, freer to make decisions based on my core values, freer to use my voice, and freer to be my true self. For many, freedom is not one of the first words that comes to mind when you think about Christianity. But for me, freedom is an important aspect of a mature, transformative Christian faith. And the Bible would agree. In his letter to the Galatian churches, Paul wrote, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Sounds good, right? But to really understand what Paul was talking about in this verse, we need to take a look at the broader context being addressed in Paul's letter to the Galatians. So just like us today, as well as Christians throughout history, members of the early Jesus movement debated amongst themselves regarding what it should look like to follow God in their own time and context. One major point of debate in the early church was around whether or not Gentile, meaning non-Jewish believers, needed to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. Paul and his collaborators argued that Gentile believers did not need to be circumcised as part of their faith expression. In his letter to the Galatian churches, Paul wrote, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love, agape. So as you would expect, they did not require Gentile members of the churches they founded, such as those in Galatia, to be circumcised. However, other leaders of the early Jesus movement disagreed with Paul and taught the complete opposite, that Gentile believers did, in fact, need to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. This kind of teaching dismayed Paul because it indicated to him that righteousness, meaning being acceptable to God, was something that could be earned or lost through one's actions. And Paul disagreed with this understanding. For Paul, Jesus' life and death demonstrated that God's agape love for humanity is given freely without conditions to all people, no matter who they are or what they have done. God's unconditional love cannot be earned and cannot be lost. Rather, it is an unconditional gift that we can grow in understanding, receiving, and sharing with others. So for Paul, when the Gentiles chose to be circumcised or teachers preached that they needed to do so, it demonstrated a fundamental misunderstanding of God's unconditional love. Paul urged the Galatians not to lose sight of the unconditional nature of God's love, writing, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For those who are not familiar with the term, a yoke is a wooden cross piece that is fastened over the necks of two animals, and attached to the plow or cart that they are to pull. In the Bible, the image of the yoke is one that is often used to represent things like bondage, servitude, toiling, oppression, or burden. For Paul, choosing to pursue circumcision as a Gentile was a decision to submit again to a yoke of slavery rather than to live in the freedom given to us by Jesus. This framing is really interesting to me. We often think of a yoke as something that can be forced upon us, not as something that we submit ourselves to. But according to Paul, it is all too easy to submit again to a yoke of slavery. This was not just a problem for early Jesus followers, but for us as well. Unconditional love is hard to compute, to accept, and to extend. It goes against our understanding and experience of the world we live in. It can be unsettling. How can we be certain that something so freely given won't be taken away? Surely we must do something to pin it down and prove that we are worthy of it. And so we place all kinds of unnecessary conditions upon ourselves and others in turn, moving ourselves away from freedom and towards bondage. This is what it's like to experience hell on earth, a far cry from the life in all its fullness that God promises us freely. Paul says that to avoid falling into this trap, we need to actively stand firm in Christ's freedom. Now, at this point, I have to acknowledge that there are many ways to define freedom. In college, I actually uh, took a course called Political Freedom where we spent an entire semester examining different understandings of freedom. There is no shortage of thought about this topic. But today, I am going to focus on Paul's understanding of freedom, which seems to be centered around a sort of inner spirituality rooted in the truths that we are unconditionally loved by God and that God is always with us and always for us. When we live out of these realities, we gain many kinds of freedoms. Free from the need to strive or gain favor or to prove our worth, we can instead live out of the reality that we are already beloved and already enough. When we take this to heart, we gain the freedom to take risks, to make mistakes and to fail because we do not need to succeed or to be perfect in order to have value. We have permission to step off the hamster wheel of striving and to carve out space for important things like rest, play, self-care, service, and the pursuit of justice. Free from the need to please everyone, we can instead focus on living according to our core values, even when they are at odds with the dominant culture. We can speak the truth as we see it, even if doing so may make us unpopular. And when others place conditions upon our worthiness, we have the freedom to push back To set boundaries to protect ourselves and to love and accept ourselves just as we are. This isn't to say that freedom should lead us to think only of ourselves. No. Paul clarified this point in his letter to the Galatians when he wrote, For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love, agape, serve one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love, agape, your neighbor as yourself. We are not to think of ourselves only, but neither are we to think of others completely. Spiritual freedom is meant to lead us to unconditional love both for ourselves and for others. One Christian thinker that had some helpful things to say about spiritual freedom was Ignatius of Loyola. Ignatius of Loyola was a Spanish Catholic priest and theologian who with his companions founded the Jesuit movement. Among other things, we can thank him for creating some helpful contemplative practices, like the examine and the spiritual exercises. Ignatius of Loyola thought of internal freedom using the word indifference. By indifference, he did not mean lack of care or lack of interest. Instead, he was talking about a form of spiritual detachment a key concept in many faith traditions, including Buddhism. This kind of detachment helps us to make decisions that are not ruled by bias or emotion and allows us to transcend our circumstances. Marina Bersens-McCoy, a professor at Boston College, put it this way, indifference does not mean not caring. One can be indifferent and yet be deeply passionate. In fact, since God is love, and God's redemptive work takes place through love, we cannot be indifferent in the Ignatian sense unless we love and love deeply. Each time that I became a new mother, I fell in love with my baby in a way that led me to feel great reverence for the giftedness of this child's existence. Contemplating the, beauty of su- contemplating the beauty of sunlight sparkling off ocean waves often leads me to a sense of wonder and praise. The delight that I feel about prayerful, mutually supportive friendships leads me to gratitude. But indifference means that when the baby grows up, the friend moves away, or a day at the ocean is cloudy, I can still find ways to love God and people. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that we should just grin and bear all things. No, we should absolutely take steps to improve our lives and to make structural changes to society when we can. However, there are times when there's nothing we can do to change our circumstances. In the words of the famous Serenity Prayer, the wisdom is in knowing the difference between these times. Inner freedom sounds good to me, but in my experience, it is not something I can just will into existence. The tastes I've had of this kind of freedom, like the moments of comfort and peace I experienced when my mom was dying from cancer, have felt like gifts from God, not something I achieved on my own. This makes sense given that internal freedom or Ignatian indifference is only possible when we are connected to God and grounded in the truth of God's unconditional agape love. McCoy describes her experience this way. For me, freedom nearly always comes from getting back to knowing that God loves me as an unrepeatable, unique creation. From that basic knowledge of being loved, two things become possible. First, I learn that I have worth apart from any of the things or people in the world that are present or absent from my life. God loves me as I am, with all my talents, quirks, and failings. I am enough for God, and God is enough for me. Second, when God's love is at the core of my identity, then I am attentively aware that I, too, have the capacity to love, no matter where life takes me. We do not arrive at internal freedom on our own, but rather in partnership with God. We need God's love and friendship to get there. An individual who exemplifies Ignatian indifference, though he likely would not frame it using those terms, is Anthony Ray Hinton. Anthony Ray Hinton spent 30 years on death row for a crime he did not commit. With the help of justice lawyer Brian Stevenson, Ray won his release in 2015. When speaking about his time on death row, Hinton shared that for the first three years he was consumed by anger, including intense anger toward God. Then one day, Hinton heard a man crying in a nearby cell. Hinton had never spoken to the man before, but he decided to ask what was wrong. The man shared that he had received news that his mother had passed away. In that moment, Hinton felt compassion for the man, and that cracked something open for him. Leaning into compassion and unconditional love empowered Hinton to spend his remaining years in prison focused on things like gratitude, service, mentorship, and forgiveness. Hinton credited these things and his, and his connection with God for helping him to experience a state of inner freedom in the midst of circumstances beyond his control. Now, it's important to note that achieving spiritual freedom did not mean that Hinton was not trying to change his circumstances for the better. He found inner freedom, well, Also working to have his conviction overturned. Another important thing to note is that choosing forgiveness did not mean that Hinton stopped holding the responsible parties accountable. No, Hinton attempted to pursue financial compensation as a result of his wrongful conviction and has become a criminal justice advocate. He has spoken and continues to speak about his experiences and the injustices connected to our nation's justice system, anti-black racism, and the death penalty. Action and holy indifference are not mutually exclusive. We can pursue them both in tandem. As we seek to pursue spiritual indifference, I encourage us to take some time to consider what forces may be leading us away from freedom and toward a yoke of slavery. Are there narratives that we are telling ourselves about our lives that are keeping us from enjoying inner freedom? Oftentimes such stories start with the words, if only. If only I received this promotion, or healed this broken relationship, or were not sick with this illness, then I would be happy. Now, I'm not advocating that we ignore our feelings or embrace toxic positivity, but it is worth considering whether there are other, more life-giving ways to frame our stories. I would also encourage us to consider whether there are any other obstacles that are preventing us from experiencing inner freedom. Ignatius names unhealthy attachment to wealth, health, comfort, long life, and status as obstacles. These are all good things that we are free to pursue. The problem becomes when they begin to rule us and become our masters. Are there perhaps spheres of our lives where we could benefit from less attachment and greater indifference? As I invite the worship team up here, I would like to close with the serenity prayer. Yeah, feel free, come on. I hope this famous prayer will help us as we consider spiritual freedom. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change courage to change the things we can, and wisdom to know the difference. Amen.